Well, good morning again, Chili Bible. Um, over the, uh, let me first of all make a real quick announcement. Uh, if you are a VBS worker, today, right after this service, there is a meeting. Laura has some training for us to go through. Uh, and, um, and if you can't come today, then come Tuesday night at what time, Laura? Six o'clock. Be here at six o'clock Tuesday if you can't stay today. I'm going to stay today. Uh, we're going to enjoy uh, getting VBS figured out because that's coming and it's going to be a whole bunch of fun. So uh, excited about that. Uh, over the past few weeks, we have been slowly working our way through the book of Ephesians and looking carefully at the beautiful blessings that we have received in Jesus Christ. Uh, if you are a believer, then you have received a relationship with God as your Father and Jesus Christ as your Lord, and you have been chosen for holiness and predestined for adoption as God's own sons in order to display God's glorious grace. And this week, we're going to be looking at our the ultimate redemption that we have not only now in Christ, but that we will enjoy forever as all of creation is redeemed by Jesus Christ and his ultimate plan for redemption of all things is fulfilled. Uh, I'm excited to get into it with you. Uh, so without further ado, if you would stand please for the reading of the word of God, uh, beginning in verse seven down through verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 1. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that as your word says to us, we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That we who are your children, Father, have been the lavish recipients of manifold blessings that we don't even all clearly understand. Father, I pray that today you would open our ears to hear your word and that you would, through the declaration of your word, begin your work in your people, continue your work in your people, Father. Because, Father, from eternity past, you have been calling us to yourself with the purpose of making us like your son, that we might glorify him and bring honor to you for all eternity. Father, I pray that you would continue that work today, that we would see your greatness and your goodness and your love for us, and that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us, that your word, which is living and active, would cut away all things of sin and wickedness from within us and would renew us and transform us. 
And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, before we get into the text, it's important for us to understand the idea of redemption. At the center of these four verses that we're looking at today is this idea of redemption. And if you were able to get in a time machine and travel back in time all the way to the days of the Roman Empire, there'd be a lot of things that you would find thoroughly shocking. But one of the most shocking things to you and I would be the abundance of slaves. The absolute commonplace everyday reality of slavery would confront your eye everywhere you looked. Historians debate as to how extensive slavery in the Roman Empire was, but let me give you some minimums. Minimums. At least one out of every three people on the Italian peninsula during the entire duration of the Roman Empire was a slave. And elsewhere, from Hadrian's Wall in Britain all the way across North Africa, all the way across uh, Western Europe, all the way across uh, the, um, the Eastern Mediterranean, the whole extent of the Roman Empire. At least one out of every five people that you would see on, a, on the street would be a slave. It was a slave society. Slaves were part of nearly every upper and uh, middle income household and slave markets uh, where slaves were bought and sold existed in virtually every town of any size and larger towns would have had multiple slave markets. If you can imagine going down to get your groceries and next to it would be a place where human lives are bought and sold, auctioned off. Life as a slave in the Roman Empire was often harsh. It was usually short, with the average lifespan of a slave topping out just past their 17th birthday. Yeah, harsh. It was a harsh life. But even in the middle of that ugly and sinful culture, there was something beautiful that emerged from within it. And that was this, that since slaves were considered property, since they were a thing, not a person, they could be bought and sold. And that meant that if you were a person with enough resources, you could go down to the slave market and you could buy a person for a specific sum of money, and then you could, instead of taking them as your slave, set them free. And the process of doing that was called redemption. And it had some beautiful words attached to it. Uh, the payment of the, the ransom price for the person's life was called the lutron, and the uh, and the the act of doing it was called apolutrao, okay, which is this beautiful word, and it shows up here in this text 
that we have been redeemed. We have been set free. We are no longer slaves. And it's a beautiful, amazing, wonderful idea. We have redemption through God in Christ. And if you look at um, verses 7 and 8, these verses tell us about our redemption in Christ uh, and the manner in which we are receiving it and the blessings that we get from it. So if you look here in verse 7, you see that it begins with the words, in Him. And the words in Him mean, you want to check your how your pronoun, what it refers back to. And it refers back to Christ. In Christ. Because God has chosen us and brought us to salvation through faith in Christ, then we are, at this very moment, Christ's possession. We belong to Him. We sometimes don't think of these things as being literally true because they're spiritual realities, but when you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Christ, then you are placed, in a spiritual sense, by God in Christ. You become a member of the body of Christ. You are welded to Him, if you will. And you are connected forever to Christ because you are part of His body. And you are in Him. You have new life. that uh, His life flows through you. Because you are in Him. You are His part of His body of which He is the head, the church. But there's more. How did we get redeemed? What was the price that was paid for us? Look at the text. It says, by His blood. In other words, the blood of Jesus Christ was the purchase price for our redemption. I love the way Peter explains this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold which you were redeemed from your empty manner of life handed down from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb without spot, without blemish. In other words, that Jesus bought us out of slavery. With his blood. His death paid for us. We are meant to understand when we read that we are redeemed by his blood. That Jesus paid the death penalty that we deserved. Amen. You may not know it, but sin is a capital crime against God. It is high treason. And you and I deserve to die for it. But God in His love paid the death penalty Himself in the blood of His own Son instead of us. He died on the cross in our place as our substitute and in so doing set us free. And that should raise in, the question, uh, in your mind a question if it hasn't yet. Set us free from what exactly? What was the slavery from which Jesus' blood bought us. And the answer is, in the next phrase, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now, I'm not a grammarian, 
but grammatically speaking, that little phrase explains the previous one. And if you're a math student, you, need to, you can just do this, okay? What is redemption? Redemption equals the forgiveness of our trespasses. It is the forgiveness of our trespasses. That means that when we are, when we have redemption, we have forgiveness for our sins. We have been set free from them and from their penalty. Now that sounds pretty good, but in order to understand even more, Paul just continues to stack phrases together. He's, it's, this is, if you're, if you are an English major, I don't know if they still teach diagramming sentences in English or not, but this sentence of Paul's goes from uh, verse 3 all the way to verse 14, and it's almost impossible to diagram because you just have so many clauses that just keep stacking up on one on top of another. But he says, the, the phrase is, according to his riches. Now, that little phrase is important. Think for a minute about Jeff Bezos. Jeff is right now, I think it may change according to stock market returns, um, but right now, as I'm speaking, Jeff is the richest man in the world. And if Jeff wanted to share some of his wealth with you, he could do it one of two ways. He could do it from his riches, or he could do it according to his riches, right? If he gave you from his riches, and he met you on the street and said, hi, I'm Jeff, you know, I make a lot of deliveries to your house, but I'd like to, I've never actually met you in person, and so I'd like to meet you, and I'd like to give you a gift from my riches. Oh, phenomenal, right? You're thinking, hallelujah, right? Here's an Amazon gift card for 25 cents right? <laughs> um, is that from his riches? Yes. But if he gave according to his riches, according to is a, a word about proportions, proportionate to his riches, then, uh, and he gave a according to his riches to you, then you could expect not an Amazon card for 25 cents, but a new mansion in Malibu on the water with a chauffeured fleet at your disposal and a Gulfstream 5 at the nearest tarmac waiting to take you anywhere you'd like to go and utilize your new millions, right? That's according to his riches. Because, because let's be honest, if you have $125 billion dollars, you know, the kind of money a Gulfstream takes to buy is like found in your couch cushions. Okay, um, this, is, this is an incredible amount of wealth from our perspective, right? But Jeff, compared to the God of the universe, is a pauper. And if you lift your eyes up from poor little Jeffrey up to the God of heaven and his limitless wealth, then you understand this. That God, when he has redeemed us, has granted us forgiveness according to his riches. Then what that means is, is that every sin, 
every eternal consequence related to your sin and my sin has been canceled out and fully paid for with way more than enough left over. Men and women, we are often tempted, I think, sometimes to conclude that when we are saved, when we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are nevertheless kind of eking our way to heaven and we get in kind of by the skin of our teeth. But that is not this picture. The picture is is that there is enough grace to cover us multiple times over. Way more than what we need because we have received it according to the limitless riches of the God of heaven. We have been poured over with the grace of God. In fact, the next phrase uh, gives us an amazing thing. It says, in case this is unclear to us, uh, in verse 8 it goes on, which He lavished on us. He lavished on us. It says, that lavished is the idea of God's grace being given in superabundant quantity. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but I've had it happen occasionally, where I'll be out, you know, shopping or whatever, and then you'll, you know, you can really hear it if you're at Walmart. And the rainstorm comes up, and I mean, it is a downpour, right? And you can hear the building get loud. Because that metal roof is just shaking with all of the water. You know, and you're just like, oh, there's no umbrella in my hand. And I know, I mean, I like hang out in sporting goods as long as I can, right? And then, and then I got to go home. And so I know I'm going to be wet. And so then I take my little bags of stuff and I just kind of sprint to the car. Uh, you, you all do this too. Don't laugh at me. Okay, I, I know. I've seen you, <laughs> right? And you, nevertheless, it's a downpour and you get soaked, right? Every inch of you is soaked. The parking lot's not flat, so your feet are wet. Everything on you is wet, right? You're, you're just soaked. You know, I got to go home and put on dry clothes and dry socks and dry shoes and all this, okay? Lavished grace is like that. It's that we are wet all the way to the marrow of our bones with the grace of God. We have been covered up with it completely. And verse 8 concludes that he has done this with all wisdom and insight. And wisdom and insight are both descriptive of the manner in which God did this and also part of the blessings that we receive as part of our redemption. That having been set free from slavery to our sins, even though we were born to do them, we don't have to do them anymore. And we now have God's insight into the way the world really is and how to live successfully and wisely within it. You know, I love this, the story of Saul's conversion on the Damascus Road. Do you remember this story in the book of Acts? He is blinded by the light 
that shines around him as the Lord speaks to him from heaven. And then he goes into the city and he meets there a disciple by the name of Ananias. Ananias is fearful to come to him, but the Lord reassures him. And then Ananias comes and he lays his hands on Saul and he says, Brother Saul, receive your sight. Do you remember this? Do you remember what happens next? The text says, something like scales fell off of his eyes. And not only could Paul see, but he was seeing reality with new eyes. And he was starting to live with a new perspective on life. And on what is true, and what is right, and what is good, and what is blessed. And men and women, when I came to faith in Jesus, I, I, I don't think I literally had anything that I could see fall off my face. Okay? But I do think that that is very, very true to the experience of every person who comes to faith in Jesus. That they get a new set of eyes. And they begin to experience life in a new way and see things from a new perspective because they are given God's wisdom and His insight into all things. Amen? And all the... And, and here's the thing, all kinds of stuff that our culture says, oh, this is wise, this is true, this is right, this is good, this will lead to your blessed life. You'll go, if you walk in those ways, you will find out that it will produce the opposite of what they tell you. It does not provide what it promises. But if you walk according to the wisdom of God, all of a sudden you have insight that makes you wiser than the smartest people. And people ask, well, what's your secret? Well, I walk according to the wisdom of God revealed in His Word by the Holy Spirit and His power. And as that works itself out in my life, and my redemption shows up in the way that I live with all wisdom and insight. But wisdom and insight also is a description of how God accomplished these things for us. His wisdom and His insight were applied to our situation so that redemption could be accomplished through the only possible means. Now think about this. In order for human sin to be paid for, a human has to die for it. Right? But in order for a human to have their sin atoned for by something other than their own death, someone has to die as a substitute, which means you need a perfect human being. Well, now this presents a significant problem because ever since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, there have been no perfect human beings who would be capable of doing the job. So how would our redemption be achieved? How could it be achieved? Because the penalty required can't be delivered by anyone likely to be born from Adam and Eve. So God, in all wisdom and insight, before the world was made, purposed and planned to come into the world himself and to provide in his love what his justice demands. How about that? 
Is that an unexpected result? That God's love would pay the penalty of his own justice on his own shoulders. All wisdom and insight. And on top of that, uh, you know, these two verses, 7 and 8, are pretty amazing all by themselves. But verse 9 and verse 10 tell us that these things that we've had happen to us, that we have and enjoy and receive, are part of God's in-time purpose for all things. In other words, it's not just about us in the here and now. It's about God and what He's doing in all human history and the way He's going to bring all things to culmination and all things to redemption in Christ. All things. Verse 9 begins by telling us that God did all these things to make known to us the mystery of His will. Now the word mystery is not like, it's, it's, not, a, it's not like a detective story. The word mystery in this text carries a very specific meaning. It means that something that could not be known previously that God has now revealed. That this is something that God is disclosing to us that was a hidden thing and a not understood thing prior to this. So what this phrase has to do with is that God accomplished our redemption to reveal something previously unknowable about the purposes that He set forth in Christ. So in other words, this. If you were an Old Testament scholar and you knew all about the Old Testament and the sacrifices required in the law and about the coming of the prophets and their ministry and about the kingship and about the temple worship and all these things, you could know all kinds of details about these things. You could read about the coming of Messiah, but how all these things fit together, you could not know. It was like working a puzzle in the dark with no box top. You didn't have the ability to to see the picture or to know how the pieces fit together. But now that Christ has come, the mystery is revealed. And you see the full picture that all of these things, from the temple worship to the kingship to the prophets to the priesthood to the coming of Messiah, that all of the Old Testament speaks of the coming of Jesus and that all of God's purposes and all of His plans had their fulfillment in Him. In His death, in His resurrection, in His eschatological rule and reign as Messiah over the entire earth, God is fulfilling His purposes and plans in Christ. And God has chosen to reveal them to us who live now in the church age. That's the mystery that's been revealed. That God is showing us, hey, by the way, Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. And he is a, he, this, the, our salvation, our redemption, the forgiveness of our sins is the beginning of the unveiling of God's plan for what Paul calls here in the text the fullness of time, by which he means the end of all human history 
when God will, the text says, unite all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. In other words, all things visible and invisible, all things that have been created, all things that have their existence from Him will be ruled over perfectly by Him and have their purpose completely fulfilled and restored in Him. And the pinnacle and the purpose and the goal of everything in all the world, everything in all the universe that exists will will finally achieve the reason for which it was created and giving glory back to Jesus Christ forever and ever. And we are part of that. Our redemption in Christ is part of the way that God planned from eternity past to bring glory to Himself in the revelation of His lavish grace which was put on display uh, perfectly when He died on the cross for our sins and was raised for our salvation from the grave. And it will in the last day be finally and forever revealed in all creation. That that which fell into sin, that which was tainted and marred by corruption, will finally achieve the purpose for which it was created to bring glory to Christ in all things, in all places, in all people. And we, our redemption, is at the center of that plan. I said in the first service, when I was a sixth grader, we had to take this class, and it was, we all hated it. It was called Skills for Adolescents, okay? And every day I went, it was like driving bamboo shoots under my own fingernails, because it was all about raising your self-esteem and how, how wonderful and how special you are. It was like an hour of Mr. Rogers every day. And I, I just was like, oh, this is awful, okay? But you know what amazingly never came up? The fact that you are redeemed by the blood of Christ. That you are adopted and his child. That you are forgiven of your sin. That you are chosen before the foundation of the world. That stuff never got mentioned. But does that do, do good things for how you feel about yourself? Amen. It does, right? You can walk tall with your head held high on this. Because what it says is, is that God had purposed from eternity past to reveal His lavish grace, His undescribable love to all creation in part through saving you. Because He loved you. How about that? It's an amazing, amazing, glorious thing. That you and I have a share in God's eternal plan to reveal His goodness and greatness and love and glory. We are eternal trophies of God's grace that He might display in us and to us forever uh, His glory and grace and wonderful love and that we might enjoy them with Him forever. I don't know about you, but Men and women, I am overwhelmed by that idea. That the God of the universe loves me with that kind of overwhelming, lavish love.
Now, this text, when you look at this, and you really study it and understand it, it demands a response from us. If it is true, and it is, that God is this good, this gracious, this wise, this glorious, this amazing, and giving us the outworking of His perfect plan and giving to us every spiritual blessing, including choosing us before the foundation of the world and adopting us as His sons and making us holy and blessing us in Christ and giving us His love and lavishing on us his grace in redemption and granting us all wisdom and insight and in making us a central part of his eternal plan to reveal his goodness and glory to all creation in Christ. And it is. All these things are true of you and me. Then we must respond to him. And I'd like to suggest three important responses that we need to have. The first one, is faith. And I want to ask you today, if you are hearing this message, if you have ever personally trusted yourself in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and if not, I invite you, in fact, I beg you to do so today. Today, the Scripture says, is the day of salvation. It goes on to say, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but to respond to the message that you have heard that God loved you despite your sin, despite your guilt, despite your shame. He sent his son because he loved you to die for your sin, to take the death that you deserve to die in your place and to raise him from the dead that you might share in the new life that he possesses. And if you've never done that, if you've never experienced the freedom and joy of knowing Jesus Christ and being set free from sin, I want to just invite you to do that today. You can do it right where you sit. As you are in your chair, you can be talking to God right now and saying, Father, forgive me. I didn't know what I was doing Please receive me into your family as your son because I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead. And in that moment, receive salvation. And if this is confusing to you or you don't quite understand what I'm talking about, please come see me. I will stay here as long as you need until you understand what it means to, re to experience the redemption that is yours through faith in Jesus Christ. I will, there was no question I am scared by. There is no sin that is too big for God's grace to handle. There is no reason why you cannot believe in Jesus Christ today. And if you will put your trust in Him, He, will, he is as good as His Word, and He will give you the new life that He offers, free as a gift. See me. See Tony. See Rick Rosetto. See one of the guys answering the door because they know Jesus just like I do. And they will be happy to explain to you that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and what that means. They will be happy to explain to you as I would be the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead 
and therefore you have new life through faith in him. But I know many of us have already put our trust in Christ and we need a different response today. We need confession. I know many of you came today carrying with you in your soul a load of sin that you have not yet confessed to God. And you are burdened and weighed down by it. And if that's here with you, if that's you bringing your burden, I'm here to remind you that now is the time to confess your sin and to turn away from it and to renew your commitment before God to living in the holiness to which you've been called as the child of God. And you have redemption. You possess it right now. So you don't need to live in slavery to sin anymore. And it is slavery. Amen? It is slavery. And you no longer need to submit to it as your master. 1 John 1.9 says this. It's a beautiful promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us, and this is my favorite word, from all unrighteousness. All my sins are forgiven. All my shame and guilt is washed away in the ocean of God's grace and forgiveness. Every single bit of it, every last scrap is covered. So if you have sinned, confess. Confess before the Lord and be freed once more from your old, cruel, master sin and live again in the freedom and joy of loving and serving Christ. You have redemption in the present. Therefore, you are forgiven the moment you confess. And finally, our response should be freedom. Many of us have developed and ingrained in our lives the habit of confessing sin when we fail. But nevertheless, many of us still carry around guilt from what we've done, and the shame of having dishonored Christ in some sinful way, or maybe from the shame of having been dishonored by someone else's sin against us. And while we should feel guilt and shame when we sin, once that drives us to confession and repentance, then our guilt and shame should go away too. Our redemption by the lavish grace of the blood of Christ is more than enough to cover it all. Every single bit of every single sin. To wash it all away and bury it in the ocean of God's forgiveness from which it neither can nor will return. Your sins will not return to visit you anymore. Nor their guilt. 
nor their shame and humiliation. We confess we are cleansed. We are cleansed. And what is necessary to live in the freedom of knowing that is to, as, and I love the study that they're going to do with the women, is to preach that truth to yourself. To proclaim to yourself what is true of you that you have been forgiven. That all your sin is washed away and then live in the glorious freedom of the children of God looking forward eagerly to the day when the Lord returns for our final redemption and the redemption of all things that exist along with us. Now, this is some good stuff. And we need to pray and thank God for these things. Some of y'all need to do business with God right here. And you need to either put your faith in Christ for the first time or you need to confess your sin and be forgiven and walk in freedom. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to walk us through these things. And I'm going to ask for God, the Holy Spirit, to work in hearts and also uh, to renew our joy because we are redeemed. Amen. We are redeemed. So let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these great truths. We thank you that they make our hearts sing with joy as we come to understand them. Father, I pray that if there is anyone here, man or woman, boy or girl, old person, young person, Whoever they are, whatever they've done, Father, I pray that they would not allow any feelings of guilt or shame uh, to hold them back from coming to faith in Jesus. That they would not allow any questions and struggles that they're having to keep them from faith in Jesus. That you would not allow their pride I've always lived my life the way I want to live it, and I can't imagine bowing before the Son of God and having to tell my friends that I've become a Christian. Father, don't let pride stand in anybody's way. Father, may we run to you the way you have run to us and receive the gift from your open hands of your lavish grace. Father, I pray that you would be drawing many to yourself right here in this room. Maybe people who have come to church for the first time, maybe people who have been here for years and years, but have never really known what it is to believe in Jesus. Father, I pray you bring them right now to you. Help them to experience the salvation you offer. And Father, I pray too for anyone with sin to confess. That today would be the day that they stop keeping silent about their sin. But instead, enjoy the feeling of freedom and release that comes from leaving it at the cross. 
cross. And Father, I pray too for anyone who's carrying around a load of guilt and shame over things in their past, things they've done, things that have been done to them. Father, I pray that you would bury that with them in the ocean of your grace. That it would not return to visit them anymore and that they might enjoy the freedom, the glorious freedom of the children of God. And Father, we thank you for your redemption. We love the fact that by the blood of Christ you bought us and set us free. And Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.